All right, welcome to another episode of Catholic Mindset, where we create Catholic content for Catholics. Today we have Father Francis Orozco. He is from the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Martin de Porres. He is Master of Novices. So he is in charge of the formation of men joining the order for the first year. So it's going to be exciting to get to know about what that means and some of those duties. How are you, Father? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. We just uh, have a new class of novices, which we'll talk about a little bit. And uh, today is exactly, they arrived last Thursday. So this is like their eighth day uh, at our priory, at our convent. And uh, yeah, it's a whole new year. Our year starts basically in August, goes from August to August. And yeah, so I'm, I'm doing pretty well and excited for this coming year. Awesome. Would you mind leading us into prayer? Oh, of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many gifts and blessings that you bestow upon us. We ask that you be with us during during this time, during this, this podcast. We ask that you bless those who are who are listening, bless those who may be considering a, a vocation, and those even that are just wanting to learn more about the faith. We ask that you be with us during this time and today and always. And we ask your blessing upon us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we'd like to start by asking our guests, what does your heart desire the most? Yeah, Uh, I would say for me, um, I I think it's probably true for a lot of people, but uh, what I really want to do is just is live out my vocation, my vocation to the full. now that I'm now that I'm in charge of the novices, I remember back to my own novitiate, uh, my own first year in the order, and one of the things we were taught were it's one of the books that we read that comes from the early part of the order, um, within the first like century of of us being formed, uh, and we the order began in 1216, so we're a little over 800 years old, and uh, one of the writings says that all Dominicans should be should strive to be be useful friars. So at the time, you know, there was a lot of like laxity in religious life. And so the idea was to, to, to be useful. And so that's what I want to do is to be useful. And so, um, we friars are known for, for being what we call itinerant. That is that we move around a lot. And Mm -hmm. so my first assignment after my ordination in 2015, uh, was the chaplain at our campus ministry at Texas Tech University in, in Lubbock, Texas. I was there for three years. And then after that, I became our director of vocations, helping essentially in the recruiting process, helping men discern and helping them through the application process and that kind of thing. And then um, my third assignment now is, is is as the master of novices. And so this is my fourth year doing this. And um, I always my big advice to everyone is always, say yes. <laughs> we take this vow of obedience and, um, you know, we spend all of this time in formation learning about the vows and wanting to profess them and live them out. And so when it actually comes to doing it, you should always just say yes. Uh, we believe that God speaks through our superiors and the people around us, as well as in the scriptures and at mass, etc. Um, but when God speaks to us through our superiors, when our superior asks us to do something, it's the voice of God speaking through him. And so it's always just good to say yes, and the Holy Spirit will will provide for what we need. And so that's really my goal: is to be more dependent and on the Holy Spirit, and to fulfill my vocation as as best I can. 
it's what my heart desires the most, I guess. <laughs> and do, do you feel like you're on the the path? Do you feel useful? Oh, <laughs> I, I definitely. Uh, yeah, I definitely do. Uh, <laughs> Good. It's a pretty uh, important task. It's a very like hum- a humbling task because mm-hmm. uh, you bring in these or these men are, are given to you. Our vocation director, um, you know, helps them out through the process and discernment, and they they come to me and sort of in an instant, um, I am. I am their their father, their spiritual father. I am their, you know, their guide, their their master. Right? They, I teach them, I form them as a Dominican, and um, at times it's it's difficult because I may not know uh, everything that they're asking, or or there's something that I maybe feel inadequate to do. But you know, through my own prayer, my own experience, and also just you know, our following our constitutions, our rule that is a guide for me as well as a guide for the for the new man. So the usefulness, yeah, I definitely, I don't feel like I'm on the sidelines sort of being bored by any means. I'm sure they bring their own personalities and stuff into the into the fold. But so be, before they get to you, mm-hmm. you know, so how, how does that work? They've, they've applied to become a Dominican friar. They go through the motions and then they get to you for the first year, right? So in brief, how does how long and what are those details before they get to you? Yeah, so it it's going to vary person to person, um, but kind of the maybe the framework would be that they feel or discern, contemplate, kind of whatever word you want to use. There's some kind of inkling for a call. Um, they believe God is calling them. The Lord is calling them to to religious life, and then specifically to Dominican life. Um, one of the, um, the things that make our order what it is is that we have both priests and brothers. So we have men that are called to Dominican life, but not called to ordained ministry, not called to be priests. And so we, we have both um, brothers and priests. And so the call is really to our way of life, to the to the life of a of a Dominican. Um, and I'll say something about the word Dominican there. So it comes from Saint Dominic. That's who our founder is. Saint Dominic de Guzman. Um, our official name is the Order of Preachers. So after our name is are these initials O P. Um, and it just happens to match really well that the Latin and the English work and the Spanish works as well. Um, Order of Preachers. And um, so we're preachers at heart. Uh, we're called Dominicans because we're founded by Saint Dominic. And um, they have a call to that. That's what they're discerning first. And theoretically they might like read a book about saint dominic or one of our dominican saints they may look at our website they may see a poster a pamphlet some something that kind of draws them to to look a little further um eventually they'll make contact with our vocation director and this is um one of our friars whose essentially full-time assignment is to help men discern their vocation to us and so um through talks, meetings, uh, you know, phone calls, video conferences with the vocation director, um, they'll get to know us. If they want to take it a little step further, they'll attend a come and see weekend, like a discernment weekend. Um, it's not so much a retreat. It's we call it. A, we don't call it a retreat on purpose because um, it's not. There's retreat aspects to it, but you're given a lot of information. You have like talks and conferences and seminars. You meet friars. Um, and the idea is you get this information, then you go back to where you're from and through help with your spiritual director, 
friends, family, other people that you know, um, you kind of start unpacking that information. Um, he may, he'll go on a come and see, he may visit one of our communities and live there for about three or four days, you know, just to, to see if this is where God is calling him. And, uh, if he decides to, you know, with the approval of the vocation director, um, he can apply to enter and the application process, um, you know, it, it can vary depending on how diligent, how quickly uh, a man can do it. Um, it can take as short as like three or four months. It can take as long as like eight months. Um, the application process is uh, is fairly detailed. So he gets references from, from parents, from friends, um, from other family members if he chooses, from uh, maybe a professor that he knew, a priest that he knows. Um, people that, that kind of, that know his character, basically. Um, he also has to do a psychological examination. Um, that's, uh, the norm, the, for the, for the United States. Um, there's also an actual application process, which is, you know, what you would expect, like name, you know, where you're from, like work history, educational history. There's also a spiritual autobiography. Essentially what you're doing is you're composing a kind of an essay where you, are giving you a vocation story and you're connecting the dots as to how God brought you where you're to where you are right now. Why are you applying? And so you'll kind of go through your life, um, maybe from when you were younger through your time in high school and college and, and how God brought you here. Um, we do have some basic, I should kind of backtrack a little bit. We have some basic requirements for application. And so you have to be, we require that all men be 21 or over. Um, our age range for applicant for applicants is 21 through 40. So we do have a cutoff age at 40 years old. Um, you have to have a college degree. It can be a bachelor's degree or higher, but a bachelor's degree in any field. Um, and you have to, you know, pass the psychological exam. Um, if you're new to the faith, you have to be Catholic for a certain amount of time. I believe it's three years. Um, we have to ask our vocation director, uh, cause I think that may have changed, um, but, but yeah, so there's certain basic requirements and then the application process when the application, and there's a little bit more pieces to the application process. There's like a dental exam, a medical exam, that kind of stuff, an eye exam, um, a physical, that sort of thing. When the application itself is completed, uh, the mat, the, the candidate is, goes in front of a, an admissions board. So he's interviewed by three friars that are professed. Um, and they, they ascertain as best they can from the application process, from this approximately 90 minute interview, uh, to see if he's, you know, ready to, to go. And, um, and that interview can happen, you know, any time after he's done with the application. And, uh, that's essentially what they go through before they arrive at the novitiate. They, they have a time together, like a postulancy, a pre-novitiate, if you will, of, of about 10 days. And then uh, after that, they go on a retreat, a five-day retreat, to prepare to enter the novitiate. And the retreat's usually fairly silent. Um, and then they arrive at the novitiate priory. So we call our convents, our communities, priories, with a P. And uh, and that, then they begin their their novitiate. So they arrive here, and I greet them, and then uh, then we begin the year. So it's uh, it's fair. It's already like a long journey in a, in a sense before they even become novices before they enter so they're they're going 
to you after all these things that you mentioned, the application, the spiritual autobiography, the, the interviews, probably you said maybe three to eight months. Yeah. It depends on the, on how busy the guy yeah. is. Well, if, but yeah, about three to eight months, just, just for the application, he may be discerning with us for a year or two years out before that. So for example, somebody, a college student may meet us as a junior or even a sophomore, and he's thinking about us. We won't let him apply. <laughs> and at the earliest is about a year before you enter. You don't apply like four years in advance or anything like that. So okay. most guys apply anywhere from like the four, the three to four to eight months before they enter. But someone can apply as early as a year before, but never like two years early or anything like that. They may be discerning with us for, for years before they begin the application process. Okay, so discerning meaning like I could have met you, I like the order, I go to the activities, I support, I hang out in the masses, and then after a year or so, I feel the call to join the you know the order, and then the application process can be between eight three to eight months, and then if I make it through that, they send me to you. Correct. Okay, yes. so I'll, I'll be I'll be I pass the application process and I'm a novice. Yeah. Okay. So, what happens then? So um, I brought our, our constitutions, which is like our rule. Um, it's this little red book you can't see off the screen. Um, but our constitutions define the novitiate in this way. I'll just read this little tiny paragraph. It says the novitiate is a trial period during which the novices come to understand more clearly the nature of a divine and Dominican vocation. They experience the order's way of life, are trained mind and heart in the Dominican spirit, that their intention and suitability may be ascertained. So it's essentially a way to think about the novitiate is a year of continued discernment within the order. So a kind of analogy is, let's say you're at a at a store or a, a building even, where there's like a window and a doorway. So a man that's discerning in a way, is sort of walking by and looking into the window, trying to decide, do I want to go in? It's yeah. And then once he begins the application process and all of that, it's basically like the door is being opened to him and he's doing what he needs to do to get through the door. And uh, when you're a novice, when you're in formation, so before like your formation, your initial formation is finished, it's like you're in there. You're still discerning but you, now you're on the inside. And so you, you see it from a different perspective. Now uh, now you, you pray with the friars, you live our, what we call orarium, our, our daily schedule. Um, you take classes on, for us, you know, Dominican history, spirituality, our rule and constitutions. Um, we do some classes on like, kind of seminar type things on the vows, things like community living, all of that, um, during your time as a novice, you are not in vows. You've made a promise, essentially, to to live the life as if you are in vows. So you can still actually leave if if you believe that God is not, and, and you don't agree, but also that God is not calling you to this life. Like, you have to want to do this in, in some, you know, some respect. And also God is, has to be calling you to do this. If the novice master or the novice himself believes this is not a good fit for him, then, then he can depart the novitiate. Um, but essentially what he does that first year is he's continually continuing to discern, but in a very focused way. 
So before you enter the novitiate, you're still, you might be in school or you're working whatever job you have, that kind of thing. You're living by yourself or with friends or with family, whatever your living situation is. But as a novice, you are living like one of the friars. So you, you live in the convent and the priory, you're going to prayer every day, to mass every day. You have these classes, you have a little bit of ministry that you do. You're living the life just like another friar. You, you even have the habit. One of the things we do early on is at the very beginning of the novitiate, you receive the, the habit of the order because that's part of discernment. Is this something that I'm called, called to do? Do you like, do you like wearing it? Oh, I, I love wearing that. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, for the novitiate. For the novices, yes, yes. Absolutely. That's something that they have to get used to. Um, so, for example, this class, the current class, arrived on the 3rd of August. And uh, on the 7th of August, they received the habit. So they got it, you know, pretty quickly right away. But that first day, the first full day, so they receive it in the evening. It's a little ceremony called the vestition ceremony. So you're vested with the habit and um, at evening prayer. And our habit is white, as you can see. We also have a black cape and a black capoose. This part of the habit is called the capoose um, that they receive as well. Um, but that very first meal, it's like tradition, is like a spaghetti dinner. And the idea is like, it's almost like a hazing, if you will. But the idea is like to let them realize, like, you're not going to keep the habit clean, <laughs> first of all. I mean, you should do your best, but that's part of it. The other part, too, is like it's making you do things a little differently. You've entered this life. It's a new way of living. And so maybe now you're paying more attention to how you eat and what you're eating, how fast you're eating, that kind of thing. Because if you are, maybe, let's say, are sloppy or not thinking about those things, it's you're going to see it. <laughs> you have a kind of a visual representation. Uh, but they're also the, you know, the basic questions are there. Like, when do I wear the habit? What should I wear? Like, you know, we wear, you know, this we do wear like shoes and socks and that kind of thing. So they ask those kinds of basic questions and we, we train them. That's part of what the year is for. Um, but it's basically giving them the Dominican experience um, so that they can continue their discernment. Um, after the novitiate year, they make vows. They profess vows for three years. So after that novitiate year, they're making a very intentional public commitment to living, to living our life. You profess vows for three years. But we, we take the vows of uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, and you make those three vows. And I'll kind of make a little addendum to that in just a moment. Um, but it's a one-year novitiate. And then they make they profess vows for three years. So it's like a three-year period. Then they renew vows for uh, two more years, if I'm not mistaken. We recently changed it. It might be three. But they renew vows, again, temporary and then after that, they make solemn vows. These are like the permanent, perpetual vows. Um, and the the big difference is it's the same formula. We make uh, promises to uh, to Saint Dominic and to God and to our Blessed Mother and to our superiors for three years, for three years. And then at the, the when we make those permanent, those solemn vows, we say until death. And so you don't have to renew anymore. So it's a, it's a little bit of a process before you're finished with initial formation. And you mentioned that when you first profess your vows is poverty, chastity, and? And obedience. Obedience. Yeah. So for Dominicans, uh, so all religious orders have to make those, at minimum, those three vows. Um, some, other, some other orders um, add other vows, a vow of stability, a vow of conversion, that kind of thing. Um, but we make those three, but we only 
audibly say, because when we make the vows, we say them out loud. Uh, we only say out loud the vow of obedience. Um, and the reason we do that is um, we believe that obedience is the highest of them. And they're all, the other ones are subsumed under obedience. So for example, um, poverty, you can kind of think of kind of, kind of coming toward you. So poverty is sort of like the, the thing that mo that's most outside. You are giving up things like, like luxuries, money, your own bank accounts, your own car. I lived in Michigan for a time. And when my friends were learning that I was, when I told them that I was joining or, you know, discerning, they said, well, you're never going to own your own boat. That was a big thing uh, for men, for people in Michigan because uh, of all the lakes. <laughs> and I said, no, I, I never will. It doesn't mean I'll never go on a boat or things like that, but I just, I will never own one myself. So poverty is sort of like those things that represent poverty or that we give up with poverty are sort of the most outside. And then the things that are closer to you would be like chastity. So like friendships, obviously intimate friendships, sexual relationships, those kinds of things, exclusive friendships, you're giving up. Then the thing that's the most close to you is like your will, your ability to choose. That's obedience. So that's the, the, the thing that's closest to you. So you're giving that up as well. So we only say obedience, uh, but we do profess the other vows as well, poverty and, and chastity. And it, make, and it makes sense that you also need obedience for the other two. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. So exactly. It makes sense that it leads, it leads it. Yeah. So, so just looking back again at the first year, right. so a day in the life yeah. looks, it's, it's classes, uh, learning the rules. Mm -hmm. And, and of course you, you get to wear the habit and stuff like that. Yeah. How many classes, how does that look like? Do you teach them or as a, as a master of novice, is it, is it like a director of, of the department, I guess? Are you overseeing the process? Are you also taking part of the process, teaching a class or so, or how, how are you integrated into the process? Yeah, so it's, um, the main thing is to oversee the process, uh, but I do teach the novices a couple of classes. So their day-to-day, -day, um, it's basically, you can kind of divide it into two components. One is our, and we call it all the orarium, which is like just their schedule, like the hours, that's where the word orarium is integrated in there. Um, you can kind of think of it in two components, sort of like their prayer schedule and then kind of their their class slash ministry schedule. And they, they're obviously, they go together. So the prayer life of our priory here in, in Irving, Texas, we're in a suburb of Dallas. We're actually on the campus of the University of Dallas, a small Catholic university in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So our day begins at 7 a.m. Um, so there's obviously... It may seem like a little lax, and if you will, some places you know start their day at five thirty and that kind of thing. Uh, but ours begins at seven. Um, partially, it's because of the university where we're at, like our our friars that minister there and teach there and everything. But anyways, our day begins at seven with a period of silence, and then we have the office of readings, um, followed by morning prayer or lauds, and that usually will end around. Um, around 745, 750, it depends on the length of the Psalms and that kind of thing. And then we have mass at eight o'clock. That's usually right around half an hour. And I should say all of our prayer is open to the public. That's another reason we start at seven. So people do attend. We don't have a lot coming to, to the morning prayer, but we do have a good amount coming for mass. Uh, we're not a parish here. We're a, just a convent, a priory, uh, but our chapel seats about 75 people. 
um, approximately. And we usually get a good crowd of about 40 to 50 uh, for mass, for the daily masses. So then we have mass that ends about 8.30. And then usually the first class is at 9.30. And then it can go all the way to noon. There'll be like a little break. It usually doesn't go that long. It might just go till, let's say, 11 or so. But but it can go to noon if needed. That's the time we have blocked out. Um, breakfast is in between uh, the end of mass and that class. So you have an hour and I have to ask, breakfast, how is that? Is it a community? Is it silence? And then somebody's reading the Bible like they do back in the day? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for us, it, it isn't community. It's not in silence. It's what we call, we call it, we use the phrase pick up. So it means that it's not prepared for you. So um, you can have cereal. There's oatmeal. If you want to spend more time at, like making breakfast, you can definitely make eggs and sausage and pancakes and all of that if you want. On special occasions, somebody may make breakfast for the community, but usually it's what we call pickup. Some guys don't eat breakfast. They'll just have like coffee or tea or, you know, just juice. They, we have yogurt, bagels, all that kind of stuff. Kind of your, what you think about our breakfast food. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's not prepared for us. So we call it pickup. And, um, but then we all eat together in the dining, in the, in the refectory, which is like our dining room. And then after the class is lunch, and then lunch is also pickup. Uh, after the class until um, till the late afternoon, I'll talk about that in a minute, they have what I call unstructured time. It's basically free time, and that's time where they can, uh, you know, they do their chores that they're assigned. They can, we have uh, access to a, to a gym, a fitness center that the guys can go to, but that's also when they do their reading. They can do personal prayer. They can see their spiritual directors. Um, it's all of those things that um, guys may do at different times that they can do during that time. Um, then we gather again together at five o'clock. Um, it, it varies from day to day, but usually five o'clock we'll gather for mid-afternoon prayer. Um, this is one of the daytime prayer hours. And then at 5.30, we, we do the, the mid-afternoon prayer and then we pray the rosary together. Um, and then at 5.30... Uh, the whole community gathers and we pray evening prayer or, or Vespers. And then yeah. uh, after Vespers, uh, we have a time of recreation. So it's um, you can think of it as hangout time. But the idea is that uh, the class, the class of novices is together and they're, um, you know, they're renewing themselves, if you will. They may have had a day where they did their chores or they have been at ministry that day during that block of time or they may have been doing something but this is not the end of the day we prayed together um and now we're sort of catching up we're we're building each other up if you will but we're also you know the discussion might be about the day it might be about something they're reading but the idea is it's like a time of renewal um that's a little over 30 minutes maybe 35 minutes and then we have dinner at 6 30 and dinner is the whole community and the dinner is a prepared dinner. So we have a cook and she cooks Monday through Friday for us, dinner only. And, um, you know, the dinner will last as long as it lasts. Our superior will, um, will make a knocking sound uh, when dinner is over. Uh, we have, you know, prayers before the meal uh, where we read the names of our dead friars and we pray for them before the meal. And then there's prayers after the meal. And then um, after the dinner is a cleanup. There's friars assigned on different, like a rotation to help with the dishes and all of that and clean the tables and mop the floors, et cetera. And then there's a little gap, maybe little gap, maybe 30 to 45 minutes 
between the dishes and then our night prayer or compline. Um, and we pray that uh, together, of course. Um, and again, all these are open to the public. We get a, a, quite a few university students from the University of Dallas to come over to Compline to join us. And then after Compline, we have 30 minutes of adoration, silent adoration uh, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And um, we end with benediction. And then there's, um, you know, if they want to kind of talk to some of the college students or people that join us for prayer afterwards, they can. But then shortly after is what we call a grand silence. So that's when the day is officially over, if you will. And the idea is to be, to basically give your mind, you know, time to, to rest and prepare for bed. And then we started, we do it again the next day. Part of religious life is kind of rebuilding some of the habits that we have. If you think of, I don't know how you are. Um, I entered the Dominicans in 2009. And so I only had a smartphone like a year before that. I mean, nowadays you're given a smartphone, like when you're in middle school or even earlier, one of the adjustments the novices often have to make is, so I should say this, in the novitiate, they don't have a cell phone. Um, they don't have access to a computer. Like in, in their rooms, there's nothing, there's no media. We have a public computer they can use in the library in the room where I'm at right now. Um, they have a flip phone, like a, you know, a, a dumb phone, I guess, uh -huh. that they, they share in case they're, they need to go out somewhere or something, there's still a way of communicating, but they don't each have one. It's one phone for the seven of them. The same thing with the computer. Um, so part of it is rebuilding these habits of like getting a good amount of sleep, hopefully about seven hours or so of sleep, um, but also just being able to spend time alone um, in prayer, in silence as needed. Um, some of it is required, <laughs> but um, they also have like the time to do it on their own as well. And so the grand, that's, that's part of the idea of what the grand silence is for. And then it starts, the grand silence ends the next morning with. So approximately the grand silence comes in at what time? So uh, at 10 o'clock, officially at 10 o'clock, um, just because there has to be a start time. But um, most guys begin it earlier. It depends if there's like, if people come and join us for prayer, sometimes they'll you know, they want to meet us for the, the Compline, the night prayer. And then after adoration, they want to meet us and talk to us. And, and we allow that to happen. Like we, you know, we want people to get to know the church and to get to know us and to, you know, it, it is kind of a unique thing to meet religious men. We are very familiar oftentimes with nuns and sisters and, uh, but to meet uh, religious men is, is often unique for people. So we allow some time for you know, a little bit of sort of recreation after our adoration for those that want to do it. It's not required or anything. Uh, but we do have a, a sort of a hard and fast 10, 10 p.m. silence for sure. But most of the men will start it earlier on their own. Yeah. So if if they if they can't have phones or media or anything like that, what about contacting family members and individuals like that? Is that I know that some orders don't allow that for a certain amount of years. Some 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 orders are very specific. You can have visits, but you have to be accompanied. How does how does that how do you guys do that? So um, we encourage the novices to write letters, and so when they get accepted, we send them a like for for lack of a better phrase, a little packet of like what to expect and things you can do to start preparing. And we mentioned in there like you all have access to your phone or computer, laptop. Um, or any type of media, and I'll put a little asterisk there. <laughs> um, so we, we tell them like, you know, we encourage letter writing, 
Um, so collect addresses and such from your friends and you can keep in touch with them. Um, we, you know, we also don't, we tell them like, you don't need, you shouldn't be writing like 10 letters a day kind of thing. It's the idea is to keep in touch. And this is a new way to do it. Almost a radical way in today's world. Now for one hour, once a week, they, there's a little sign up sheet. They can sign out the phone and the computer. So if they want to send emails to family, they want to talk to family, they can do it for one hour, one day a week. Um, it's usually on Sunday and, um, you know, it's limited to that. So it is very limited, but we don't, we definitely don't want them to break the connection. It's just the relationship is in a different phase, if you will, you know, used to they're getting texts, you know, constantly from friends, family, whoever. Now it's like they can talk on the phone <laughs> for one hour, once a week. Um, and then when we, uh, during certain times like Lent and Advent, so these seasons of penances, that's reduced some, um, for sure. But, um, but the idea is to, you know, to live in a different way. And so, uh, we don't, we don't, don't want them to like break off these relationships, but it's going to enter a different phase. You know, they're, they're becoming religious. They're, they're making a, a radical change in their life and following Christ in this particular way. And so that, that will be reflected in, in how they deal with friends and family for maybe a couple of days, um, in this, in the latter half of the novitiate, they don't have to do that. Um, only about half of the novices in the past have had their parents visit. Um, you know, that's just if the parents want to, you know, maybe meet, meet the priors that they live with and that kind of thing. But it's, it's not a prolonged visit. It's usually about two days. Um, and the novice still has to do his other things, uh, come to prayer and all of that. And his parents join us and get to know us a little bit. And, um, and part of our novitiate is to prepare the men for what they'll be doing afterwards. And so we're not, we're not monks, so we're not cloistered. When they are out of initial formation, um, they'll be in a campus ministry or they'll be teaching or they'll be in a parish or they'll be giving retreats and that kind of thing. And they'll have, um, you know, access to a smartphone and all of this kind of stuff as part of their ministry. And so the idea isn't so much to like take it away forever. The idea is to like allow to, to help them build the habit of a responsible use for it. So by limiting it, limiting it to just one hour once a week, it's like, okay, I use the phone now really just to make, because one hour once a week is not a lot. <laughs> and uh, it may seem like a lot to some, but it, it, you know, it goes by real fast when you're talking to a family member or a close friend. And, and so it kind of forces you to be like, okay, I'm going to use this phone, this media time for only important things or to communicate with the people that I want to communicate with versus just, you know, scrolling endlessly or, you know, watching YouTube videos for four hours. So it's building that habit of responsible use. Um, is what we, is, is what our goal is anyway. Yeah. And you also mentioned chores. Some are assigned you cycle through for the cleaning after dinner. What other chores are novices expected to do yeah, or so assigned to? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the cleaning after dinner is like a weekly rotation. So it just changes every week, but then the guys have chores that are on a two month rotation. So these are more intensive, if you will. So, um, so one of the men is in charge of, we have two floors in our, in our convent. The first floor is basically like common spaces. So like our library, um, our refectory, which is like our dining room, our kitchen, the laundry room, the chapel. So one is in charge of cleaning the first floor. The second floor is the cloister, um, which is like basically where our bedrooms are. Somebody's in charge of like cleaning the hallways and the cloister. Um, another friar is in charge of 
the um, the library, like so, making sure the books are in order and you know dusting the shelves, that kind of thing. We have like a parking garage. It's not like a fancy garage. We call it. It's basically a garage under the house, under the priory. And so he's in charge of making sure it doesn't fill up with leaves and stray debris, that kind of thing. Uh, we have two, three little gardens outside. One is in charge of those. Um, we have one of the novices is is basically the sacristan. So he sets up for mass and for prayer and cleans the chapel. And those jobs rotate every two months. Um, so that way they can they have a little bit more ownership. And then, but it, but it's also detachment <laughs> because after two months you're giving it to somebody else. And they may do things a little bit different than you did. They may, um, you know, prefer to do this in this order. For example, if somebody who cleans the, the the first floor might do things in a specific order, but then the next guy will do it in a different order. As long as it gets done, you know, appropriately, then that's the idea. But it helps uh, cultivate a little bit of like responsibility, um, but also the idea of detachment that they're they are gonna give that up. In a couple of months and they'll see what somebody else does with it and you know and i'm obviously i trained them in how to do these these chores so it's so that they get done well um but not so much in like you must follow this procedure like in this order some things you have to do that of course like if you're the sacristan you should do things in a certain order but other jobs you you have a lot of like leeway in terms of how you do it um there's also the classes which i haven't talked about did you have another question about the chores or that kind of aspect no no you um, yeah yeah the, the classes are sort of the other aspect of it um so the men um we're very fortunate here in in irving and in, in dallas uh we have a abbey a monastery of cistercian monks so they're a type of monk called cistercian monks <laughs> that live essentially across the street because they're monks, they are they they live there, you know, for their whole life, and so um, one of their one of their monks uh, teaches at the University of Dallas, and he teaches us. He's a scripture scholar, so their novices and our novices get together one day a week for just an hour, and they have a class on the Psalms. Um, so that's one of the classes that they take, and the Psalms are important because they the novices pray them multiple times a day, so now they're learning a little bit about what they're what they are praying. We have a, cl- a class on the Psalms. Um, we have a class on our constitutions, basically like our rule and way of life, our governance structure. Um, I teach the class on the constitutions. Um, they have a class on the vows. So we focus, because this is what they're professing at the end of the novitiate, the, the vows. Um, it's a it's a pretty important class, and it's a, it's a class where we just read various documents from the church from saints from from dominican authors about the vows um so we we kind of hit all three vows from different like different viewpoints so what does the church say that we should be living out what do our dominican documents say we should be living out you know what does um saint thomas aquinas is probably the most famous dominican there is and so he's written also about the vow so we read aquinas on on vows the perfection of the spiritual life that, that kind of thing so um, because we're Dominican friars, we focus a lot on Dominican sources um, as well. So, so I teach that class as well. Um, those are the two that I that I teach. And then um, we also have a class that's kind of like a it's basically a catechism class. So you can think of it as like a Catholic 101, if you will. And so one of our um, friars here who teaches at the University of Dallas, um, 
he gives the novices a class on the catechism and they just take the catechism of the Catholic Church and throughout the year they cover it, they go over it from cover to cover. Um, and so he'll do, he'll assign them portions of it and then he'll, you know, they'll have a discussion or something like that um, on the on the catechism. So, and, and what that does is just make sure they're on the same footing. Some of them will know much more about the faith than others, um, depending on, you know, how involved they were in their parish or what they studied in college, but this makes makes sure that they have the same footing. Um, we also have a lot of um, like one-time seminars or presentations or workshops. So we'll have guests, uh, oftentimes they're priests um, from the diocese here, from the area where we live, will come and give the novices a talk. So um, a priest will come and visit and give them like a little uh, seminar on preaching. Uh, they may have a seminar on like sacred music, uh, we may have a presenter on the vows as well, that kind of thing, just to switch things up a little bit. And then we also have a class um, that we just call generically um, a theology of religious life. So um, where we talk about community living, we read um, the church's documents on um, on religious life and community life and that kind of thing. We cover things like fraternal corrections and basically like how to how to live with one another is a big thing and then we also have what's called a chapter um which is sort of like a you can think of it as a business meeting but it's it's basically like uh, a gathering of the friars of the novices in this case where we go over some businessy stuff like this is what our schedule looks like for the coming week or the coming month but we also may talk about specific formation issues so I might say, like, I've noticed this thing that's happening. Let's talk about it. Or let's shift what we're doing from this type to this type of thing. Um, so it's it's a formation meeting, but also like kind of tied in with a business scheduling type meeting. Um, sort of a very roundabout, not roundabout, but a very kind of secular way to think about it. But it's basically it's making sure that we are doing our best to be of one heart and one mind <laughs> when we're uh, living our life. After this, how do you choose who goes where, what does what? I guess I'm sure I'm sure they demonstrate certain abilities, certain certain um, capabilities that allows <laughs> allows for easy placement. But is there like a like a first level of tasks, or how does that work? A little bit. So um, their their first like kind of rotation, uh, they will all do all the tasks at some point. Okay. Um, so the idea is to like expose them to these things. Um, usually for the first round, I, um, I have a little meeting with the director of vocations because he's been discerning with them before they come to me. And I'll kind of ask him, who do you think would be a good fit here? And I put the, with his advice, I put a placement in their first month or their first rotation rather, uh, just basically in order to have a kind of a strong beginning. And then the other novices can look to that novice as like, all right, you you did a good job of here. You did a good job here. Um, like, show me what you did or help me what, with what you did. And and I the guys can help each other. They're not sort of on their own in terms of doing these tasks. They can ask each other for help and advice. But that's how we do the first round pick, if you will, is I get the advice of, of the director of vocations. But then they rotate. And so they'll all do the different tasks at one point. Um, and part of that isn't is isn't so much to like give somebody a task they're not good at, but it's to hopefully 
hopefully build some other some confidence in knowing that okay i've done this before i wasn't the greatest at it but but i did it and i think i can learn better in the future a part of it is also to let them know like religious life like any life you know married life etc but religious life does have its challenges it's going to be difficult and um and it's also hopefully teaches us humility i'm not the best at this but i've been asked to do this i'm going to do my best i'm going to take extra time and learn about this or i'm going to have to practice more in the chapel to get better at chanting uh maybe i'm not the best lector or reader so i'm going to take a little bit of extra time you know before mass the next day where i'm going to read the reading the first reading to practice the day before that kind of thing um and then the opposite for the guys that are really good at it maybe they like doing this one task um they're going they know they're going to sort of rotate out and that's a type of detachment like okay i'm not doing this task that i really loved but now i'm called to do this other task um you know holy spirit you know help me to to do this task with as much love as i did the previous task that kind of thing and how long is the rotations for in each duty a two we do a two month rotation okay so it's like a like an intro to all the possible tasks and then after the rotation period or is it always rotating it's always rotating then they move out to a new task that kind of thing um yeah and and part of this is just also like it's good for for men to work with their hands to have something that they're kind of in charge of something that they can um that they can they themselves can be like the ones who decides everything um one of the one of my tasks as well is you know the novitiate is it's a very interesting year because it's it's a unique year um after you're a novice you become a student brother and so you're 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 sent to our seminary in St. Louis and um and you have a little bit more freedom now you're going to class you are allowed to have like a phone and that kind of thing for yourself if you'd like you're not required to but you're allowed to and so in the novitiate year a lot of things are restricted not so much to you know because we don't want you to have them for no reason but in order to help rebuild the habits that you've built um so it's it's a unique year and so part of the year is also just to to make sure that you your call to this life it's a it's a very challenging year and so part of my task is also not to we don't want to infantilize the novices you know we don't want to treat them like 5 or 6 year olds because they're all over 21 so they're all they're all men um but the idea is to to help form them right to shape them as dominicans as useful friars for the province but also for the people of god and um and so we put some of these you know that's why we have these things we kind of we throw them in um it's often what we say is we like we just throw them right into the deep end um and but we're there we're helping them like one of the things i i always end my little meetings with the novices with a prayer but before that i always say do you have any questions and if they don't they usually don't but i always say you can always ask I said i would rather have you ask than think that you are being abandoned or think that you are asked to do this on your own or that you don't have any anybody to help um and and the men this year you know it's only been about a little over a week they've done that well they'll come and ask me things as they come up um and that's part of what i do is is help form them which means i'm present to them and available to them in, in the rotation that we spoke about uh, is after their novices year right no it's during this year during okay. this year during so sort of, aside from the day to day activities that you described the 7am to 10am to 10pm yeah. sorry yeah um 
they rotate through certain tasks that right. they could potentially do after their year. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, got it. Exactly. That's a good. That's a good way of putting it too. The idea is that they're learning some of these basic skills so that when they are in a, in a com another community, they it, it should not be strange that they're that they may be assigned in another community to, you know, to take care of the chapel, or to like be in charge of cleaning up this part of the house, or to be in charge of like the gardens. Um, and they don't have to be expert gardeners. They just have to keep the gardens tidy. And alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. That's true as well. Water, like number one, watering, exactly. and not overwatering because that also is not good. <laughs> and if it happens, like it, it's going to happen. I say, if it happens, it's going to happen where, where the guys mess up, and that's okay. Um, the novitiate is the time to do that. <laughs> it's the time to make those mistakes because it's your first year. Um, I'm I consider myself to be very patient, um, but also like they like. You correct them. You, you can only correct someone when they make mistakes. I mean, if they're doing everything really well, then then they're fine. But this is also like a very, um, I don't know if safe is the right word, but it's it's the appropriate place to test these things. But yeah, the men here are just learning to chant. For example, they're not the best, but they're. I've already seen improvement in the when they arrive to now, and so like we have an outside person come like approximately every two weeks and kind of give us a little refresher on chanting and singing because uh, we chant all of our prayer. Um, I guess we don't chant the rosary, but we, we chant like the morning prayer and Compline and such. And so evening prayer. Yeah. So that's, it's, this is the place where you build those habits where you're forming them. In. So after that year, you've tried, you've done, you've done live, you, you've lived it a life, right? Yeah. Then you do your first vows, mm -hmm. you profess the term, yep. right? Yeah. And then you said you become a student brother? Yes. So and now, you, uh -huh. yeah, so now you are, you move to the next phase, if you will, of formation, which is formal studies. So like the classes that I mentioned during the novitiate, like the constitutions and the vows, all of that, all of that is what we call, we call it informal studies. So you don't get grades. Um, you're, you're just learning about this. Um, there are little tiny exams that you take during the novitiate year just to make sure that you're learning what you're supposed to learn. Um, but then when you get to, when you make vows and you go to our seminary, basically, we call it a studium in St. Louis, Missouri, um, you are enrolled at our school, uh, Aquinas Institute of Theology. It's a graduate theological school where you um, you are earning a master's, Master of Arts in Theology and then a master's in divinity. Um, the master's in divinity is what the United States requires to be a priest. And then we also add a master's in theology because we often send our men to further studies to get doctorates um, or PhDs, right? And so they they need that background in, from the MA in theology to do that, the master of arts in theology. Um, and then they take classes like a graduate student, like a seminarian would. So the history of the church, um, They'll take classes on pastoral care. They'll take classes on systematics, on Christology, on, on we call it homiletics. Most seminaries will call it preaching. Um, but you'll take classes on, on Mariology. Because we're Dominicans, you will take, um, unless they've changed it, but they, those that you'll take um, a cla three classes on the Summa, um, St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa, um, one on each part. You'll also take a class about the... Um, 
the life, thought, and works of St. Thomas Aquinas, a class on Thomistic metaphysics. Um, so we're, we're big on, on Thomas Aquinas, of course. And then you'll do, um, I believe it's 30 credit hours in philosophy as well. Um, I, for, I forget if it's 26 or 30, but or 27 or 30, but that's, you know, that's we can look that up later if we really need to. Uh, but yeah, you, you basically earn, you take the classes that you need for philosophy as well. Some guys already come in with philosophy and so they don't have to take those. But but yeah, you take classes on ecclesiology, all of the things that you need for these degrees and to help you minister to the people of God. Um, as part of the classes too, um, you also do some pastoral placements. So you, you'll have a ministry usually attached to a parish. Well, you, you might teach RCIA or you might help out with whatever the parish needs, that kind of thing. Um, and you also do a pastoral year. So this is a year outside of St. Louis in our province at one of our ministry sites. Usually it's a campus ministry, but we've also done it at parishes. One of our student brothers a couple of years ago had the unique experience of he was at one of our parishes, but also helped out teaching. He was qualified and helped out teach an undergraduate course uh, with one of our friars who was a professor. He like team taught a class, which was good. Part of our charism is preaching and teaching. So. so so these classes will go for how long? Uh, so they're in studies for, I believe, six years. Oh, nice. So it's, it's a, you know, you're earning two master's degrees. So it is, it does require time. So the, the classes are kind of what people think about, about when, about our seminary community, our studium community. But in those communities, you also still have like workshops and seminars about the vows and Dominican life that that continues. Um, but the focus just becomes more academic. Um, whereas in the novitiate, the focus is more, you can say spiritual or Dominican, like our community life is oriented versus academically oriented. Okay. Because you, you, you do your, your novice for a year, then you do two years of renewed, then solemn vows. So you're still studying. You're still studying. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're in the simple vows and those temporary vows for, I believe it's five years. So it's, uh, it's a, so it's a long process, if you will, but it's, but you need it, you know, in order to be good ministers, especially in today's world. You take a lot of, we also, I should say this, I forget to say this. Um, uh, we do a lot of classes on scripture as well. You know, we take classes on, uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all four gospels. Uh, we have a little class on like the Psalms and wisdom literature and, and I forget how many credit hours it's in scripture, but it's, it's quite a bit as well with, there's a big emphasis on it. Um, and, and all of this is geared toward, um, you know, toward ministering to the people of God, whether that's in a, in a classroom, like as a, as a teacher or professor, whether that's in a parish, whether that's in a campus ministry, whether that's like a retreat leader, retreat director. Okay, so these so studies for six years. I'm, I'm, I'm then I'm guessing. I'm assuming that you are also doing other things. You must have like a like a duty or a job. You do, yeah. In the in the studium priory, you also have a duty or a job because it's a larger larger community. So our community here in Dallas, our novitiate community, is 14. There are seven novices, and then there's seven uh, priests. Seven we call them senior members, but seven priests. But in the studium community, it's a community of about 35 total. So it's a much larger community. So the duties are are split up a little bit more. So they're not as heavy. Um, but you still have like chores and such that you do. Absolutely. That's always going to be part of our life is we want to contribute to the maintenance of our house. We will hire people out to do certain things like, 
you know, a plumber or something. And what about the priesthood? How is that? Because you say you have brothers and priests. Yeah. Or is it normal for most brothers to be priests? Or how does that look like? Absolutely. So um, when you are applying, you declare, you state if you'd like to be a brother or a priest. Um, the novitiate, our constitution say that the novitiate is the same for both. Um, so right now of the seven men, one of them is going to be a brother and then the other six will be priests. Um, but the novitiate is the same because um, in the novitiate, there's not an academic focus. The focus is like, are you called to be a Dominican? And so obviously before the brothers that are priests are priests, they are not priests. And so their uh, formation and kind of their, their daily li living is the same for everyone. Um, when they get to, the, to St. Louis, to our studium, the men that are going to be priests, they will take uh, some different courses. So their, their program of studies is very, for the men that are going to be priests, their program of studies is, is basically set in stone. These are the things that are required for you. The ones that are going to uh, be brothers that are not going to be ordained, they have a little bit more freedom in the classes that they take. They still earn a degree, um, but they might earn a degree, let's say, an, um, they'll do the theology degree, and then they may earn one in education if they're going to be teachers. If they're interested in being a counselor, let's say they may take classes earning toward a degree in counseling or something to that effect. There was a brother from a different province a few years ago who actually earned a degree in business, uh, in business administration, because he wanted to, you know, help out with like accounting and that kind of that more administrative tasks, and and they allowed him to do it. And um, you know, he's because he's not a priest, he's not required. You know, obviously he attends mass every day and that kind of thing with our communities, but he's He's not one who's going to be celebrating Mass or any of the sacraments. And so um, his coursework looks different, but they all live in the same priory and everything. So overall then, how, well, how would you describe the novitiate experience? Yeah, absolutely. So the so I'm the novice master, right? So I'm in charge of the novitiate. And I would say, how I would describe the novitiate, it's a, it's a unique year because it's your first year in the order, first of all. And it's one of the few times in Dominican life and probably in any religious life where you, your assignment, your task, um, your goal is to discern God's calling in your life. And so you're given, like, you don't have to worry about turning in papers or theses or anything like that. Um, the chores that you have are a little bit light because the idea is to give you the time to, to contemplate your vocation. Is God calling me to Dominican life? Is God coming to is God calling me to profess these vows? And it's a very crucial year because it's your first year. It's when you're building the habits. Um, but it's also, I would say, it's a very fun year because I this is my fourth year doing this, my fourth class, and and it's just it never gets old to see the men that are joining, like, you know, see their faces light up and see kind of their their minds open up to what God has in store for them, especially when they learn about you know, what it means to live a life of poverty and chastity and obedience, what it means to live in community. And so um, it's a it's a great year. It's a fun year. It's a challenging year. Um, but it's more, most of anything, it's a it's a blessing and a and a kind of a very grace filled year. And so I, I feel like after talking about all these novices, at some point you were a novice, too. That's right. Right. 
So what is, how does your story begin? How did you, I guess, how did you encounter the Dominicans and what called you to join? Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I grew up in Oklahoma City in a parish run by Descalfed Carmelites. So it's another religious order. So I was always used to religious, um, like the men in habits. Like I didn't actually know what a diocesan priest was until I got to college uh, because I was just always used to religious. And so um, being from Oklahoma, I wanted to go away to college. Like and in my mind, away uh, was like another state. And, um, and I didn't want to just go to like t to Texas or, you know, Kansas or Arkansas, but further away. And I found this small school in Michigan called Aquinas College. So this small Catholic school um, that it starts with an A. And so when I like would look for colleges online, it was always near the top of the list because I wanted a, I wanted a specifically small school in in a city. And Aquinas College at the time was like 3,000 students roughly. And then it's in Grand Rapids, which is about 300,000 people. Maybe it's the second largest city in Michigan. Um, so it was always near the top of the list. So I went up there uh, for school and I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, I liked the environment. I liked having small classes. Um, it's named Tom the school's named after St. Thomas Aquinas. So it was founded by Dominican sisters and they have a Dominican chaplain, Dominican that ran the campus ministry. So I started getting involved and that was probably the first time I really met a Dominican. Um, I was discerning a little bit, but not in a serious way. Um, I I got more and more involved in the campus ministry um, as my time in college went. I graduated and I moved to, I should say this, I graduated with a double major in philosophy and Spanish. And then I minored in Latin. Um, wow. Everyone, oh, you were going to be a priest. Exactly. And uh and I was like, actually, I, I, I was thinking about the priesthood, but not in a super serious way. I just, I really liked philosophy. And so I took a philosophy class my first semester, like an intro. And I was like, oh, I'm, I like this. I'm going to pick this as my major. And because, uh, you know, most people change majors and stuff. And I, I didn't. I just did, stuck with philosophy because I liked it. I added this I, in, in high school, my high school, which is a public high school in Oklahoma, offered Latin as a foreign language. And so I took Latin in high school. And so when I got to college, they offered a Latin minor. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just continue studying Latin. And I got the minor. And then um, I had, I, I grew up speaking Spanish, but I was, um, I was like illiterate in Spanish, if you will. Like I couldn't write it very well. Mm -hmm. I could write it a little bit, but not, you know, probably as well as I could write it. So I decided like, I'm going to, I'm going to take Spanish classes. And I just kept kind of taking them for fun. They got they started getting really hard, <laughs> especially when you get to like the composition classes where you're having to write like essays. essays in Spanish. I was like, Oof. well, the teacher was like, like, like I, I, I learned a lot. I had to, I was like, I got like C's in those classes. And then I was like, no, no, I'm going to do better. And then I just kept taking them. And eventually, you know, I did much, much better. Um, the teacher was like, you should just minor or major in Spanish. And I went over to the account to the, um, forget the name of the office, the academic advising office. And, and they were like, actually, you've taken a lot of Spanish classes. You, you might as well just major. Um, it's only going to add like a little bit of time. And so I actually ended up doing a semester abroad in Spain um, when I was in college to catch up on the credit hours that I had missed because I started doing Spanish later. Anyways, so after all that, um, 
I didn't know where I was going to work because where do you work with a philosophy degree? And so exactly. And so um, I moved back to Oklahoma and I got a job with an insurance company doing essentially kind of like customer service and uh, which is not what I thought I'd be doing, but I actually really liked it. I liked the company a lot. Um, the job itself wasn't like super hard. Um, I actually, and I, but I didn't study like business or anything. I asked the, and most of the job was, um, was communicating, was writing emails, writing formal letters, talking to people on the phone, not in like complaints, but talking to like, kind of like CEOs and CFOs and that kind okay. of stuff. This was insurance for banks and credit unions. It's insurance for financial institutions. Okay. It's not like, like regular car insurance or you have to deal with the public at that level. Got it. Correct. Yeah. No, it's like dealing with like banks and stuff. And, uh, and so I asked the company later, like once I got to know the company and the job, like three or four months into the job, I'm like, why did you hire me? I'm just curious. And they're like, well, um, you studied philosophy. Um, the Spanish helped because you know another language. But then they're like, you know the job now, right? And I said, yeah, it's mostly just like phone calls, like formal letters, a lot of emails. And they're just like, yeah, we needed somebody that could be good at writing that we knew could like compose a sentence, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And they're like, they're like, you know, the training, but there was a lot of training for the job because I didn't know anything about insurance, but they're like, you understand the insurance now. I said, oh yeah, the insurance isn't, that itself isn't hard. Basically either you're covered or you're not. It's basically the two mm -hmm. categories or you have it or you don't. And um, they're like, once that determination's made, then, then the rest of the job is fits. So uh, moved back. So I, I'm working like banks, bankers hours. So I have all my weekends free. I have like all the holidays free, that kind of thing. Um, so I get really involved in my parish. Uh, and so I was volunteering first one day a week, then two days a week. The parish ran a free clinic for, for the homeless and for nope. poor people. That's and cool. I was, and, and I ran it. So I was an interpreter, an English Spanish interpreter. Um, and so I got to know the priests and the volunteers. Mm -hmm. Eventually they're like, you should, you know, you should teach uh, a CCD class, like a catechism class. For Did them. they get you? I've done that too. Exactly. And <laughs> uh, they asked me specifically, they're like, we want you to teach the seventh graders. And I said, okay, sure. And I learned like a month later after I started, they're like, the reason they wanted me to teach seventh graders, because I was, I was a man and the seventh graders are like the rowdiest. Uh, so they, like, they figured I could discipline them, which, which I, you know, you have to lay down the rules, which was sort of like early training to be a novice master. If you will. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I was like, I loved it. I loved teaching the class. I liked the volunteering. I liked kind of the free time I was getting. Um, I even started like, I, I officially registered at my home parish instead of like registering with my family. So I was like tithing on my own and all this kind of stuff. And, and I remember even praying and I was going to, to mass most days a week. I was going to daily mass, like I think like four days a week and then Sunday, um, of course. And so I remember even praying one day, like, God, this is, this is where you're calling me. Like, I'm comfortable here. Like I'm going to settle. Eventually I'll find a wife and have kids and I'll continue volunteering with the church. And I, and I specifically remember saying like comfortable and settled in this prayer. And then like a month, within a month, my company called me and said like, so where you're at in Oklahoma, we're going to close that office, but we want you to stay working for us. So to do that, you'll have to move to Fort Worth, Texas, where the company is located. Um, if you don't do that, then you, you know, we'll have to let you go. But I really like the company. 
So I went ahead and just moved to Fort Worth, Texas. I didn't know anybody other than like some of my coworkers. And so I had all of this free time uh, from from work. To work, yeah. Yeah, so now I, I didn't have anywhere to volunteer or any of that kind of stuff. So I eventually got to know a parish and um, I started volunteering there. And then um, the priest noticed that I was there, you know, volunteering a lot. And he's like, have you ever thought of a vocation? Like, it seems like you want to be in the church all the time and all of this. And I said, well, I have, but he's like, why don't you meet with our vocation director, the diocesan vocation director? And so I did. Um, but I was also discerning with, uh, with this, with the Dominicans at the time. And so what kept happening, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, but the Dominicans have a place here in the Dallas area. And I would see the Dominicans every now and then at different places around the diocese, different conferences and stuff. And so I started talking to them and uh, eventually they were like, well, why don't you come join us for dinner and prayer? And so I did, I came to the priory, the same priory here, um, you know, several times. It just drew me to it. I went to the come and see weekend and that just sort of solidified it. And then, then I joined, um, you know, and I, the novitiate year for me was, was a difficult year because like I moved from Oklahoma where I had all my friends and family to Fort Worth where I didn't know anyone, but then I got in touch with the order. And then in the novitiate year, like the things I mentioned, like the phones and all that are gone. And so it's like, I'm being like moved further and further away kind of from the people that I know. But at the same time, I noticed I was moving closer and closer and closer to like God and to, to my vocation. And so it was very much a, it was a, it was a blessed, a blessed year. It was a tough year, but it was a blessed year. And, and at the end of the year, obviously I decided to continue. Um, this is where I am now. I would say though, maybe a summary thing would be like, my vocation wasn't like a big aha moment. It was more like what, I guess what helped me the most were two things. My prayer, I pray daily. It's just a habit that I remember doing like since college. So that's never gone away because of my daily prayer. I was sort of able to connect the dots of like where God was calling me to. Like right now, I just said like God was sort of moving me further and further away from like friends and family from the world, I guess you could say, but closer and closer to him. Like I wouldn't have been able to say that like when I first entered, I can kind of say that now looking back, but I'm glad I like followed him. That's always been my advice to people too, is like always say yes, always say yes to that assignment or that vocation or that next little step. Cause you can always say no later. I mean, up to a certain point, right? Like once you're in solemn vows and vows forever, you can't say no anymore. But as long as you you're following the Holy Spirit's guidance, like you're not going to go wrong. And I think that's what, that's kind of what my motto has been. It's just like, God's led me here. So I'm going to say yes and see where he leads me after that and just keep going and going and going. Um, so my vocation was much more gradual, I would say, than than sudden. So between college and joining, the Dominicans was a three-year period. So I worked for three years before from, from college to joining. Um, a lot of the guys we have now work for like one year or they join right out of college. So which just seems to be more the norm for the guys that we're getting. And you've been you've been with the with the order for how long? Since two thousand and nine. So that's almost fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen, 15 almost fifteen. Yeah. So it'll be. How does it feel? Feels good. No, I, I I cannot see myself doing anything else. Like, I thank God for this vocation for the for the challenges He's given me, but also for like, I would say like the the responsibilities that He's given me. Like, when I was asked to be novice master. Everyone was just like, oh my gosh, this is, it's a big thing. And it is a big thing. I mean, you, 
you were in charge of the first year men. And so, but it's at the same time, I'm just like, like God has brought me to other spots and it worked out. And as long as I'm faithful, as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, like God will see me through it. But I like, I love the Dominicans. I love, I love our province specifically in the South. Um, that maybe a little bit of an aside is there are four American provinces. Um, we're the smallest, <laughs> we're the youngest, uh, like the newest province. And so it's kind of a, it's a cool place to be because like the, whatever the province is going to become is still be, is still in the process. So like the oldest province is the, the province of St. Joseph, the Eastern province founded in 1805. The next one is the province of the Holy Name of Jesus, founded in 1850, the Western province. Then you have the Central province, which is like the Midwest, the province of St. Albert the Great, founded in 1939. And we, the province of St. Martin de Porres in the Southern U.S., was founded in 1979. So like our first like leaders, our first provincial is still alive. Um, I mean, none of the other provinces can say that. <laughs> and so um, like we're still like, becoming what we're going to become but also in the south are like in my opinion we have like the best places <laughs> so we have and we have dallas and houston and atlanta and miami and nashville um new orleans we have all of these like big cities um not just big cities but like really i would say vibrant uh fun cities to be in that need a lot of evangelization um and that's one reason why the southern province was formed is because the the other provinces realize the southern U.S. is unique, and so there needs to be a province just for a group of Dominicans just for the southern U.S. You know, our province is basically the Bible Belt, if you will, which is why we have such a big emphasis on, on Scripture, is we want to be able to coherently to talk well, to talk, you know, uh, I want to say appropriately, but be able to to understand what Protestants say to us and what unchurched people say to us and and often the common ground is the Bible, are the scriptures. And so we want to make sure we know them just as well as non-Catholics. So we do have a, a large emphasis on scripture. Um, so a question, since you mentioned the four provinces, I'm curious about structure-wise, is each province run separately? And is there like an is there like a, like a federal <laughs> organization? So each province is its own entity. So each province has its own provincial, which is like their, it's sort of like their, their bishop in a sense. Um, so you can think of each province as sort of like a diocese, but bigger. Our province covers 11 states in the South, Texas and Oklahoma. And you can draw a line from Oklahoma to North Carolina, and then everything south of that. And our province is its, is its own entity, has its own provincial, its own leadership. Each province has their own novitiate, for example. So there are four novitiates in the United States, the one here in Dallas, San Francisco, Denver, Colorado, and, and Cincinnati, Ohio. And so each province has its own thing. And then there's a what we call the master of the order. He's the head of all the Dominicans. So the U.S. is a little bit unique because we have four provinces, but it's a large country. So for example, like Spain has one province. Mm. Uh, you know, Croatia is one province. England is one province. You get the idea. Canada is one province. Mexico is one province. But the U.S. is four. Uh, like France is two provinces. Um, so some countries have more than one, but very few of them do. I forget how many provinces there are, right around 50 or 52 or so. And um, But the master of the order is like, in a way, like the Pope 
for the Dominicans. Now we still follow the Pope, obviously, because we're Catholic. Um, but he's like in charge of the Dominicans. Um, but each province is its own entity for sure. Now, do we partner with the other provinces? Absolutely. Like we'll visit the other novitiates. Some of the men from other provinces study in our province. Some of our men study in in other provinces. So there's a lot of partnership and cooperation for sure. So all the all the novices will go to the place where all the novices go through the process, right? So if I'm here in Miami and I meet the Dominicans here, and if I'm interested, then I will be sent to my province's novitiate program, wherever that is? Correct. So um, it's so not... It's not so much where you're, so Miami is part of the South, so you'd be oh. you'd come to Dallas. So I'll I'll go to you. You you you'll be the guy. Correct. Okay. Um, so you're not required to do that. Um, you you join a province, and you get to choose which province you join. So okay. let's say um, so an example would be like let's say I, I'm in college. Well, I, like I'm from Oklahoma, and I went to college in Michigan. Michigan is part of another province. Um, Let's say I met the Dominic. I didn't meet the Dominicans in Michigan, but let's say I really wanted to join the Dominicans. Um, while not, when I was in Michigan, I in a way get to choose: do I want to join? Which province do I get? Do I want to join? I get to choose that, and then that province will send me where they send their men. So if I join the province in the Midwest, um, which is where Michigan is a part of, their novitiate is actually in Denver, Colorado. So I would be sent there. Okay, but if I joined our province in the south, I would be sent here to Dallas, where our novitiate is. So, Father, I thank you so much for your time, and we like to end with a with a question here. What is your favorite part of your faith? Well, um, there's a, there's a lot. I think, um, I think, um, I don't know if I'm saying this well, but like, I like that the faith is so for lack of a better phrase, it's so constant. And so um, I grew up in Oklahoma, like I said, which is very Protestant. It's a very Protestant state. So is most of our province in the South. Um, but when I discovered things like daily mass, the liturgy of the hours, um, you know, the things that we can do every day, it sort of like blew my mind in a way. Because I remember like in public school, um, in, in middle school and high school, like my friends would be like, oh, I'm going to church on Sunday. And which, which is a good thing to do, of course. <laughs> um, but I would be like, oh, well, I, I do that. But also, like, I'm, like, my family would go on Wednesdays and Thursdays. It's just what fit in our schedule. But, but, but I knew that I could go every single day. Um, and then thinking about, like, the liturgy. Once I learned about the liturgy of the hours, I'm like, this, we pray together five times a day and mass. Like, I think that's what it is. It's like, it's one of those things, like, once, at least for me, like, once... I really sort of discovered these treasures of the faith. In my eyes, it's like a very clear roadmap. We can, I mean, we can, I could say a very clear roadmap to like salvation and heaven. And, and yes, that's true. But I would even, I, I like to think of it as like a very clear roadmap to like, to building that relationship with Jesus, to following Jesus. That's, that's something I talk about a lot with the novices, like following Jesus. Because all around us, we're taught, we're told like, you know, be the leader, you know, rise to the top, like, you know, sometimes it's like the cutthroat business, like rise to the top, like not rise, but like claw your way to the top and all of this. But Jesus says, like, follow me. And so even just just thinking about what that means, like Jesus is saying, like, you, I'm asking you to be a follower. <laughs> and um, now when we follow Jesus, that means that we should serve him primarily, of course, above all. And then because of that, um, we serve our brothers and sisters, our neighbors. 
Um, and so to me, that's just like the church gives us, like our faith gives us such a very clear and multiple opportunities. I mean, even just thinking about confession, like we can go to confession a lot, <laughs> right? Like we can go daily theoretically if we want to. And so it's like the church gives us this constant opportunity to follow Christ. And I think that's, that's one of the things I love about it. It's like, if there are days like when I'm sad or, you know, maybe it's not my best day. Like I know that I will be in the chapel with my brothers in a few hours. Um, I know that if I need to go to confession, I can access it, you know, living in a house of priests, but also like Eat. that I will receive. Yeah. I will receive Christ at mass. Like the next time we have mass and the next day. And so it's like that constancy is something that I really love that sort of, pers I mean, you can even think of it as like persisting, like Jesus is, is coming after you. Like all you have to do is say, yes, it's just be like, all right, you're putting this thing in front of me, Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to accept it. I'm not going to run away from it. And I, so I think that's, that's what I like about the best. I don't know if that's the right phrase, like consistency or constancy or whatever, but it's that, that it's always around us and in all aspects and obviously at mass and the blessed sacrament, but in the scriptures and the people around us and the prayer around us and, and all of this. And it's just like, whenever I think about that, I'm just like, it's like, if you're willing to, to accept all of that, like that Jesus is going to be around you in various ways and different ways all the time. It's, it's a beautiful thing to, to think about and to, and to really just experience, to live in it for sure. Father, awesome. Thank you so much for, for first of all, we met in Instagram. I reached out and then Father Francis was like, yeah, let's do it. So I thank you for, for, for saying yes to the show, for sharing your story. And of course, teaching us what a master of novices does oh you're very welcome thank you for having me on the show it's, you know i've enjoyed it very much <laughs>